Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the House of Trust, the House of Trust, which is aimed at people who love to invest in social change. And through our, explore, our, our exploration, we have a look at uh, what trust looks like, the stories we create in ourselves and around ourselves to generate valuable relationships and conditions that generate and ignite impact. And my guest today is Kevin Withain, the founder of Diversity X, and who supports underestimated founders. And you're going to tell us more about that in a minute. You also, you've been a purpose-led um, senior lawyer and ethics and compliance executive. You've worked across sectors. You've worked and traveled extensively in various countries. So I'm so curious to know more about you. Kevin, throughout all these experience, uh, what would you say your key contributions to the world uh, have been? That's a hard one to say because my carbon footprint has been terrible so that's not really contributed much um but i'm trying a lot better in the last few years of not traveling at all basically not leaving home i think that's the best solution i think i'm only making my impact now if i'm honest so i hit 45 i've hit 45 now but i've been i guess i've been doing diversity x for a year and a bit but i'd say i'm only starting to if i'm honest i feel like i'm only trying to make an impact now it's not because i didn't try before i just don't feel like I've, i i don't really know uh, i think some people might say well you, you're underestimating uh, yourself or your contributions but i genuinely feel i found purpose now and that's to help and support underestimated founders make a positive impact in the world um i think i have skills to do that and and that's my purpose in life is to to help them ultimately my goal is because i need a world that's better for my three mixed race children yeah uh, one where they can actually breathe the air and they have a fair opportunity at work and success mm. uh, and they're not hindered on the basis of any characteristic like the fact that they're my children and so mm. they're mixed race by definition or that my daughter because of her gender or if they ever decide they are gender fluid or whatever or, mm. or their sexuality like I just can't I can't have a world with that so I'll do mm. everything I can now to create the world that they have a fair chance of being successful and whatever that means to them oh that's lovely that we have that in common too I've got also a mixed race child who's um 12 and a half going on 80 or 18 a time <laughs> <laughs> and who's got a very strong views about the world so yes and I I, I see how working on creating infrastructures and contexts and systems that are more suited for people to flourish is totally needed. Kevin, can you tell us more about what an underestimated founder is? Yeah, I think most people use the term, and you'll see it in loads of reports, um, are there's not enough funding going to underrepresented founders. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Because for me, I meet so many women founders. So many people, colour founders, disabled, LGBTQ+, neurodiverse, older. There's many, many of them. So I don't think they're underrepresented. I think they're underestimated. And there's a whole reason behind that. The underrepresentation, in my view, comes in the opportunity to equitable access to capital. 
And I think the data speaks for itself. And there's always data, there's always another report that says, for instance, in the venture capital world, venture has a diversity issue. Mm. Of course it does, because the numbers speak for themselves. And, you know, if you're, if you're in venture capital, numbers mean a lot. But it's not like it's a new thing. It's been going on for decades. So this is where I think diversity X and I come in is, well, we're sort of done with talking, done with the reports, actually. And we'll, we'll use the reports to back up our statements. Mm. But ultimately, the reports just say there's a problem. And they might quote a few people saying we need to do something better. But the reality is it isn't happening. So you have to make that change now. Uh, and that's what Diversity X is trying to do is build something that's generational because we're not naive to think that this is going to just change overnight. Mm-hmm. There are what I do see is there are a lot more newer um, sort of venture firms coming up who are trying to address this space in, in different ways and really being trying to be creative. And I think you have to be creative. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really positive because also you need choice. Like you, you can't just have one diversity X and that's it. That's mm-hmm. the only place that if you're a female founder, you should go to because you're like, because you know, the reality is we can't, it is still a business that's trying to do something. Mm-hmm. You can't fund everybody because you know, it's finite. And quite frankly, the problem has now become a problem. That's now an opportunity because it's so big. And I, I've been asked sometimes like, well, who's your competitors to this? Like, who are you? I turn around and say, and maybe this is going to sound really stupid, but I don't believe I have a competitor because firstly, we're mission driven. So our aim is to serve underestimated founders and help them create or have access and opportunities to access capital. Mm-hmm. So whether it's us or somebody else supporting them, it doesn't really matter. Our mission gets ticked off. But putting yeah. that aside, there isn't enough money in the world <laughs> that's going to be given to us to support this problem. So, yeah. you know, the pie is so big that there's room for many, many firms like Diversity X. So this is like I remember I had a uh, I was I had a, a talk with um, Melissa Sterry and Rachel Armstrong. We were talking about well, what do we need to really as an attitude eh, to really change that these big thorny issues of lack of diversity, lack of uh, investment. Um, they're a future. They're bio futurists. They they need a lot of money to to make things happen. And we were talking about that the notion of cathedral building, having the cathedral building thinking. That means that a lot of us are going to build us to bring a stone and contribute to um, a building that ultimately we might not even see accomplished or finished, but that'll connect us all through hope, worship for some, uh, and and you know, and entertainment for others, but also purpose, and and will contribute to make things change over time. And that I'll- is that's a great analogy. In fact, it reminds me because I think I used I used this example similar is the reference to in Barcelona, and I'll never say this right, but La Familia... Uh, Sagrada. Sagrada. Yeah, the family, yeah. It's still being built hundreds of years later. This, yeah. It's still, it's never been finished. So it's not even under um, renovation. It's just been built. It's still being built technically, right? Oh, so it's never actually been finished. Yes. So... I think that's that's exactly what it is. Oh, wonderful. So we need other people. We need other funds. We need other other nuance of funds, you know, the purpose, etc., to to build this uh, familia sagrada, <laughs> this cathedral type of building. And I wonder, 
what is it that you most learn about you know human relationships in, in your work as a lawyer and advisor and non-exec and that's all your all your roles what is it that you learn about human relationships to well, to, to to make you to help you work towards this goal yeah so actually i've learned a lot from outside of this world that contributes to this and it's about people uh, and that started with a lot of inflection on myself and the person uh-huh. I felt I was inside, but was not outside uh-huh. um, and involved changing myself to to get to where I am today. But that is people need to feel they need to understand purpose and what their and how what their purpose is. Not everybody understands that fully, but how they contribute to that purpose, to an overall purpose. Uh-huh. They need that sense of contribution that sense of belonging, the sense that they've been heard. They don't, it, and it's never about agreement. It's about, you've heard me. It's never even about, you know, like the mansplaining thing, or I had this problem. <laughs> I was like, just listen to me. I don't need you to solve the problem. Right. I need you to listen to me telling you what the problem is. That's it. That's it. That's it. And I had to do a lot of work on myself. It's like, don't be the person who tries to solve somebody else's problem because yeah. they, they don't always need that. Sometimes they, and that's what the great thing I think in like working with startups is it's their business. Even as, you know, we might invest, we may have a stake. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, ultimately we're buying into somebody else's vision of what the world is and where they see the world going and what they're trying to build to support that vision. And I think mm-hmm. it's about trusting that and people need to, a sense of trust and you can't feel belonging and you can't sell it, feel inclusion without genuine trust you know i think about then the organizations i've worked for mm-hmm. and you know you can have friends you can have colleagues acquaintances but i actually think to myself how many people do i trust and i don't mean like i mean the people that you know are lifers like they are there for life whether you go in that organization I think about some of the organizations and you know I know that in 20 years time I probably won't remember many names Mm -hmm. oh there was this person I worked with what was their name what was their name what was their name Mm -hmm. there'll be others that I still talk to regularly and and that's because of trust and I think they're the things that I then I've taken into diversity X it's like well we have to have safe spaces trust I believe in like I believe we're an age of collaboration. So when I started out my career, and particularly as a lawyer, knowledge is power. We're, we're you know, what lawyers really do sell knowledge. We're, we're knowledge industry. And so knowledge being power, it was proprietary. I believe now, I, I use the phrase, uh, knowledge is open source now. Like if you don't share knowledge, you're probably going to be left behind. Whereas if you look to share knowledge, look to learn from other people, you're going to develop ideas. Things are going to actually get better. You're going to be more innovative, more creative. You're going to solve problems. And like, I think during the pandemic, that sort of was born out. Like you see these from a, on a macro scale, mm-hmm. countries working together, collaborating with the private sector to get medication developed a drug essentially a vaccine, right? Whether mm-hmm. you like agree or disagree with it mm-hmm. as a feat of engineering or whatever you want to call it innovation fantastic like there were some base lines there but they come out came out with a drug which essentially they deployed within what nine months a, a year 
If so, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. That is incredible in any society. Like you, mm. you think about how long like the, the, the drug development process is, it's years, right? Mm. Seven, 10 years when we talk about like long-term capital investments in that. And yet here we are when people come together. And that's yes, what it, yeah. it sounds to me like it's power with, not power over, that really wins in this case. I think so. Mm-hmm. I genuinely believe so. So I wonder, what do you think might be getting in the way of establishing more trust between, between people in the, in the sector, for instance, between the provide fund finance providers and, and funds recipients? we still operate in a world of short-termism even even when in the venture game i see it like it's you know you're looking like building a fun model for instance i'm looking at it going oh right well, we've got to deploy it we, we raise we're going to spend this amount of time raising then we're going to we're only going to get paid for this amount of time mm. because then we can't charge management fees once we've deployed or there's a lower management so then how do we continue to survive ourselves as human beings yeah feed everybody else who are helping us and so it's your you continue thinking in short terms yeah and i actually think we need to sort of reflect and not everything needs to be short term and it not and but reward and it's about being able to step back from that and look at the reward system in life in general holistically uh-huh. so we're taking so we take, take giving people the opportunity to do things which actually do like you know we're asking for ch- culture change we've ingrained like these are systemic issues like most things we're dealing with is systemic but you know you look at fortune 500 ceos right they're they're remunerated on quarterly results right ultimately it's like mm-hmm. what you're delivering on this quarter this quarter this quarter this quarter this quarter mm-hmm. then you're going separately by the way there's this looming problem over here now it's not you can't touch it and you can't feel it quite although you know heat waves are telling us maybe we can feel it uh <laughs> yes but you can't you know it's and it's such a macro like it's such a grand scale issue right with climate yeah. uh-huh. that it's very hard to conceptualize and then put it down and go how does this affect my short-term results because i get rewarded on this and so how many of them have got the courage to put their head on the line because that's what it takes and go to the investors look this is for your long-term benefit too because in the long run, those companies that do take the changes, make the changes to make society better, but will be the ones that still survive, exist. Mm. They will build that loyalty. So we can take the short-term gains now, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you think are. But what's going to happen to the next generation? Like, what's going to happen to them? Mm. And it's your generation, your people. Like, we have to try and build this inclusion. And you know that whole rising tide thing it's in some senses it true it can have yeah i look at it from the vc and i use the flip side the Uh rising tide so you know more underestimated people have been funded compared to 2009 to to today Mm -hmm. for instance you got more and more money but percentages remain the same because everybody rose Mm -hmm. the rising tide lifted everybody including the same people so there still wasn't the equity but we all benefit and i think that's that's what that's what we're trying i that's what my mission is to help us all benefit. So I wonder if we take again that metaphor of the, uh, the, the that La Familia Sagrada, like the cathedral, instead of building sheds, we should all start thinking of building businesses or funds or invest with that kind of cathedral 
spirit in mind. I wonder what what what's what more of that story would you like to be able to tell, and what would be the ingredients? What would you technically bring in to make this kind of approach work? Um, I think there's a thing in called uh, in marketing called having a BHAG. Okay, uh, what's that? Which I, I can't remember what it stands for. A big, hairy, ambitious something goal. All uh, right. Or big, hairy, ambitious goal. I can't remember who quoted it, but it was some marketing guru. Um, mm-hmm. But I genuinely believe in in the sort of the, the the ethos around that and the sort of vision around it. It's like, think big, like a cathedral. Uh-huh. But a cathedral doesn't just appear. It's then a series of lots of small steps. So mm-hmm. what's the first thing? Lay the ground. Prepare the ground. Yeah. And you start digging down. You dig downwards before you build upwards, right? Because you need yeah. to put the foundations in. Because if you're building something so grand, so big, that you want to be stand the test of time, it needs to have solid foundations. Right. So you go downwards first before we, then you lay that, and then step brick by brick by brick by brick. You start going upwards, and that ultimately takes time. So it's having that great big idea, and then making the small steps each day each hour each minute towards achieving that eventually one day you'll step back and you uh you'll look at it and go wow well that will stand in your will that will stand in your will to your to your to your descendants say one one day you'll step back and you see a granny built i wonder i wonder kevin what could be the um the reward as milestone along the way for people to feel a bit satisfied to see some sort of results so what, what form could that take i think firstly there's the human element mm-hmm. and most people don't see it like you know when you live with people like kids mm-hmm. and you're with them every single day right mm-hmm. so you don't necessarily notice them growing and shooting up <laughs> apart from then their clothes like oh you all of a sudden it's like oh you need a new shirt because <laughs> like uh, your shirt <laughs> grandma comes around three weeks later she hasn't yeah. seen it for three she's like wow you're shopping like really That's what? It? you're <laughs> like in person i didn't notice that and it's that that perception right so we sometimes as involved in that moment in tasks mm. what we're trying to do we don't necessarily see the glory of of what we're doing mm. other people do and it's having that humbleness to take that on board because like most people are like when you tell me i've done something really good oh no you, you get yeah. the real jerks who are like yeah. of course i know but yeah. then you get the people who are like oh no 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 and it's like actually you can just appreciate it. you have done something good and that's that's a good feeling um i also think people know just intrinsically they they feel good like they people that's and that's you know going back to that purpose of wanting to have contribution a sense of contribution that's mm. what it means mm. like you it's know when you go to work you've done a great day's work you feel it like you leave work and you yeah. feel like I'm tired or whatever, but you're like, I, that, I did, I worked hard today, but I felt a sense of contribution. Right. So you need to be in an environment that creates that opportunity too, though. And I think it should be opening that, that notion, that approach to funders, that the reward might take different shapes, different forms, that feelings and emotions are part of the story too. And that the, the rewarding milestones are are not just finite; they're part of a continuous journey. Yeah, and taking that continuous journey, so many people, and I'm meeting founders and investors, right? 
what's the we're looking for the next unicorn looking for the next unicorn looking for the next unicorn it's not that many to be honest if you're looking for the next unicorn then by definition unicorn doesn't truly exist right there's no shop with unicorn, then what what great what good is it the fact is you just need businesses and people to go i've taken this from zero to whatever and it's mm-hmm. helped me make a living it's maybe inspired some people mm-hmm. along the way to then maybe do something slightly different but maybe even like can financially can get a unicorn state because it's all it is is a is an arbitrary number we could have we could just turn around and go do you know what today we're changing it to be a unicorn the only way to get unicorn state is now you have to make a trillion dollar company right like we, we could it's an arbitrary number one billion yeah. us dollar yeah. like where did it yeah. someone just coined it and said that was it right there's not much love in that there isn't and i think it's all about creating lasting sustainable businesses and the only way to do that is one you've got to look after the planet you've got to look after the people both within your business and outside your business who are stakeholders take care of them all and ensure that you look at the long term obviously survive for the short term but look to the long term like delivering keeping delivering and it, and your business can change as well it doesn't have to stay the same mm. so kevin i'd like to invite you to ask a question that people in the audience will take away and do their homework with <laughs> so maybe if you think of fellow investors that might not be as yet, you know, to your point, to having matured in your in your way in, in that in that sector, well then I wonder what question would you invite them to think about so that they you know, contribute to these cathedrals? Yeah, I would say uh, I would ask them, how often do you switch off the system one thinking and switch on system two thinking? System one is the sort of um, you know you are it's where like biases come from like it's the speed of thinking uh-huh. like, and here's an example if you ever looked at facebook they have those little puzzles where the letters are all backwards mm-hmm. most people can if you've ever seen it like people can read right. those right like you can just look at it and it's recognition it's all about recognition yeah so most people do that and that's how we get through life like otherwise you, you need to process everything really slowly to then get to an answer but that leads to biases and it leads to people like the people I support and represent be missing out, right? Because there isn't enough data around that because we haven't invested in those people. So we can't get the data to show how successful they could be. Mm-hmm. System two thinking makes you stop, slow it down. It's almost like slowing down. I, I think of it like slowing down time mm-hmm. and then make a decision. And you might come to the same conclusion as you did before. You might go, do you know what? I'm going to try something slightly different because I'm not speed thinking this through. So um, I'd encourage people to think about how they do that and how often they do that, because it generally is a skill. Wonderful. So we're going to leave that question to our audience here. How often do you switch off to system two, pause and see what it generates? I wonder what their answers will be. Thank you so much, Kevin, for participating in this uh, virtual house of trust and, and thinking out loud about your work and your contribution and, and this big topic that is trust and all the things around that. Thank you so much. Genuine pleasure. Thank you. Have you felt your organization needed to adjust its level of empathy lately? 
What would happen if you learn to pause and create a space where your team members gave one another the opportunity to be seen and heard or even recognized? What does it take to do that? Join me in the next episode of Be and Think in the House of Trust. We will talk to Soraya Show, who is an applied organizational neuroscientist. who will explore nine things you can do to address empathy scarcity in your organization. The show is available to listen to anywhere you can find podcasts. So for more insights, events and resources, and even jobs for people who love to invest in social change, you can head to my website, servanemoison.co.uk and subscribe to my regular Conscious Innovation Update. Goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.